That's aggravating, but I like it. That's, we got some filler material there. <laughs> so we on now? We're on. We got to wave. Okay, here we go. Okay, so we got the music. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the very first episode, the debut, or debut, as they say, the kids say nowadays, of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. Uh, I am Gary. I'm still Rob. Well, you never were Rob (laughs) until now. So, uh, but I, I guess you always were Rob. But to people who don't know you, you are now Rob. Yeah, before it was that uh, fella. The fella who hang around that people thought was a pedophile. <laughs> you know, it's amazing <laughs> what, what, what just not talking to people and not looking at them. <laughs> Why is that man standing there? Call the police. Um, I can stand it. What we need to do is, ex- is explain what this podcast is all about, being this is our first episode. Oh, okay, because I'm yeah. kind of curious about that myself. Because uh, I, I didn't feel Robin what we're doing. I just said, come here, I need uh, I need some coffee. <laughs> and I said, while you're here, why not sit at the microphone? I was like, well, I've never been in the new, new Winchester building before. <laughs> oh, yes. I, we, yes, we, we broadcast from the Winchester building in the downtown metropolitan area. It's a beautiful building. Uh, Mr. Winchester is not a beautiful man. No, he's both the uh, the owner and manager, and uh, he's a he's a taskmaster. Is what he's. He kind of uh, you know you pay your rent, you still got got to do stuff for him. Yeah, we got to go to his house every weekend and clean out his gutters and stuff like that. But we're happy to have the uh, the office on the third uh, floor, and uh, every week on this show we on sound from the seventies, sorry, we will spotlight an album that's released. In the 1970s. In fact, this whole show is about the 1970s. Even Rob will be dressed as some sort of funky 1970s person every week, even though you won't be able to see it. That means there's a whole bunch of uh, costumes I can't use. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, and what we're going to do is Rob and myself will go over the albums with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, I was just, uh, you want to explain what uh, this happened here and that happened there, and uh, that's why. Well, we, we give our, our feelings about the record, uh, the times, the record that the, it was made in, the head space that the artist was in at the time yeah. that he made the record. We're not just going to talk about the how we feel about the quality of the music, we're going to talk about all the the things that either made that album such a success at that time or such a failure or such a disappointment or even uh, just mediocre. Uh, because the 70s were, and this is why we've, we've decided to start this show, is because this, as far as music is concerned, because the 70s, we're the only decade where the main form of music in any form to listen to was the LP record for the whole decade, for the whole 10 years. Yeah. Uh, the 50s, of course. Uh, the 50s and early 60s. 
uh, mid '60s had the 45, which was the, the singles, which was the most popular form. I remember and the singles. The albums were very much secondary at the time. And the albums as an art form became became popular, and of course, since Sgt. Pepper's Revolver, Pet Sounds, about '66, '67. That's when it first became just not just a bunch of singles, but an album with filler. It became thought of, at least in rock and roll circles, as a uh, definitely an art form. Definitely an art form that we thought it was. Um, and the '70s was the only decade, if you think about it, that was totally dedicated as the main source of of music as with the LP record, which we love. Me and Rob love yeah. the LP record. Um, the 80s, of course, halfway through the 80s, we turned to compact disc, and uh, the compact disc was the main form in, until, and then it was streaming, it started in 2000. Yeah, tapes made a go for it. Some were good, some were less good, but they never really competed with you. See, ta- that's a good point, though, because tapes and A-tracks were very important because they were the only, and they sold very, very well, because they were the only form that you could take Portable car. into your cars. <laughs> Yeah. But for sound quality, people didn't mm-hmm. buy them for the sound quality. They bought them no. for their convenience. So even though they may have mm-hmm. at some point sold better than LPs, and in some years I think that they did. I think in the early 80s, actually, I think they did. Yeah, because everyone had Walkmans at the time. Exactly. But that was not really the main reason that you got You bought them for convenience, not for sound. Sound, No. you know, that's why 70s was such a golden, golden time, both, I think, what we feel is for music uh, and for the way the music was presented, which was the album and the analog uh, music. So that's why we, and we, we grew up, we grew up, uh in this time period in a way we were just kids but you do grow up in two decades you grew up in your in your early you know yeah yeah the uh your child your child yeah your early teens and then uh your teens to uh early 20s kind of uh that's that's a lot how i define it because i don't remember the first few years no you don't so they don't count they never count they never count so the first the first uh our growing up kids years were in the 70s and then are becoming uh, teenagers and young adults was in the 80s. So we are childs, we are children of the 70s and 80s. So we are, uh, and so we did, uh, we didn't really start listening to music until the end of the 70s. But when we did, holy smokes. <laughs> it, it was like opening a Pandora's box for us anyways. It, it really changed changed the way we thought about everything because music was very important back then. Not like today. Music was music established who you were as a human being to other people and to yourself in many ways. Yeah, that's what's popular and uh, well, it wasn't what's popular it's what you liked. I had a point to make but uh, it's gone. Well, that's, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, we will talk about how the album we think is praiseworthy or should be thrown on the dung heap. Although I don't think we we're going to be doing that too much. But maybe we will. I don't know. Uh, I we we like a lot of '70s music, but we also every decade has bad music. Every decade has good music. Every decade has bad music. And we we want to do the spectrum. And we're not just talking about popular music. 
as far as rock and roll or even pop music in general. What was popular with us. Exactly. We're talking about uh, country music. We want to we want to do all forms of music: uh, funk, soul, R and B, uh, progressive rock, all, all the forms of rock. Uh, this is about the '70s. This is not about uh, what we think the '70s were. This is mainly about what the what the '70s were to everybody. And the main goal, which I think we started off, which we wanted this uh, podcast to be about, is if you lived through the 70s, it would bring you back to what it was like to live in the 70s. And if you didn't, we would bring a taste of what it was like in the 70s. And if we succeed at that, then we've accomplished our goal, I think. Yeah, I remember it was weird. and There weren't all these laws. What was that? There weren't, there were no, I don't even think there were laws. No, you could do anything. <laughs> they didn't even have jails back then. <laughs> they, they just gave you a stern talking to and said, don't, don't rob that bank. <laughs> That's when the biker gangs <laughs> Um We also have like weekly segments. We will have oh, hilarious, yeah. hilarious <laughs> weekly segments. About the 70s and the times of the 70s. And, uh, oh, there's going to be so many segments uh, that are so hilarious. We may have to cut a few. They're so fun. I'm glad you clarified what the segments were. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal what the segments were because people say that doesn't sound like a good segment. I'm not listening next week. But if we tell you they're just fabulous, <laughs> you will just be on your edge saying, I got I to gotta listen to that segment. I, I have to. Well, I, I, you build it up that much. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> if you build it up to the most spectacular thing since World War II, then you have to listen. I live for the segment. I used to live for the album. Now I live for the segment. Yeah. Every, <laughs> there's so much segments in here, it's incredible. <laughs> Actually, we're building it up. There's not really too many segments. <laughs> uh, most of this album, most, I'm sorry, most of this show is dedicated to reviewing the album that we picked for that week, which goes through a lot of scientific thought and data until we decide, doo, 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 this is the album that comes up. I use a dartboard, I use dice. <laughs> <laughs> we consult the tarot cards and the cards. Yeah. And this week, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes, uh, is uh, Derek and Domino's Layla and other assorted love songs. Rockin', thank you, nice gypsy lady. Oh yeah, because she did it. Because <laughs> she did it. She was nice. She said "Pick Layla" yeah. uh, in that low voice. Or so she, why are we introducing us? I was going to introduce you here, but now I already you already introduced yourself, so I don't have. To. I did. You left a space there, and I was like, uh, "I will." Now people think, "Who is this guy named Rob?" You are the second banana. You you don't dictate anything that goes on in the show except to say, kind of like. Yeah, man. That was a great point you just made. There. <laughs> <laughs> I wish some of the points I made could measure up with the point you just made, but they can't. And then when I go on a long tangent, you always know to go get me some potato chips or something. <laughs> <laughs> you will soon be able to tell by the crunching, which we do to simulate what a scratched album would sound like. <laughs> um, if anybody asks out there why why we think we know so much oh please please don't go there but i will tell you i have probably listened to more albums than you have seen in your lifetime 
without sounding pompous. And even though Rob has not, he has this, pretty much the same tastes as me, and he knows about most of the albums anyways. And anyway, he's here for comic relief. Yeah, I've heard of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> he's not here for the technical aspect. He's here to pull his trousers down at the right moment. That rocks. Then people have a low expectation of me, and I can do whatever. <laughs> and we also uh, contractually have to say that our, our producer is uptown money. <clears throat> Oh yeah, that's right. We don't mention him. We're in trouble. We don't. Uh, yeah, we have to. We have. I'd to. like to say legal trouble, but with a name like Uptown Mike. <laughs> what kind? Of, what? I'm representing Uptown Mike. I mean, what lawyer would do that? Let's just say he used to be Mike Basama. No, he, he was. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Mike Basama. Think about that, people. And uh, Mike recently broke up from his girlfriend. I got another girlfriend really quick, which is pretty cool. Oh, wait a second. I'm starting to see what's going on. Because he wanted to experiment, but he didn't experiment. He went back to what? He got another girlfriend. Remember? He said he wanted to test the limits of, of uh, what he could get away with. What he could get away with legally, and uh, but he just got another girlfriend. He, that, he should have taken his freedom and ran with it, like I have. <laughs> now, Mike is also uh, a noted uh, producer of podcasts. He has... Uh, Produced uh, a few other shows that are on. Seven, eight, or nine. Uh, not seven, eight, or nine. It's not something I carried away because he's not that good. Okay. That's good. He's barely, barely passable. <laughs> but the shows that he has produced, like the popular Men on Men Love. As oh, you yeah. Know, and, uh, and the all, always popular, ooh, that's a big one, Sailor. <laughs> uh, it's very popular in some. Uh, other demographics than the one we're used to. He's, he's what's known as a, as a humanist. <laughs> he's a humanist. <laughs> yes, he likes to spread his humanity around. So, uh, was there uh, anything that you want? I know there was something that you want to talk about before we got to the Layla album. You wanted to bring up something that was important to how the show was going to evolve over the next few months and even years. And I'd like to hear what you were going to say, because it's very interesting. I had a completely different point to make, but now that you bring it up, I think the show is going to progress into a musical. I think there'll be some singing, there'll be some dancing, kind of a variety type thing, like back in the 70s. Remember Sonny and Cher? How can you not remember Sonny and Cher? Remember Donnie and Marie? And my personal favorites? The Captain and Tennille. Ah, you still there, audience? So I had to get a drink of water. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't like to leave Rob with you for that long a time because I know you'll be switching to another podcast. We, but we've got to review it. I can't it. We will, you know. In all seriousness, we will be That's reviewing right. everything. Because AM radio is a big part of the seven. We do not have prejudice against any music on this show. That doesn't mean they're going to get a good review. I'm not saying. I don't even know. Because I've never listened to a Captain Thiel album. I've just heard, God, we heard those singles in the yeah, 70s. Yeah. God, did we hear those singles, singles in the 70s. Boy, there were but people that, who loved those singles a lot. And that's why they got but you can't just talk about the albums or the artists that you like or that you know of or that you're familiar with. You can. If you're going to have a show, you can, <laughs> but it's a very one-sided show. We're, we're going to be, uh, <laughs> we are going to have, now that you remind me of it next week, 
<laughs> no, no, I gotta be mentally prepared before we do a Captain and Tennille album tour. Well, I tell you, that was smokes. That was my yeah. idea at first for the show. Was let's just review all of our or favorite albums. <laughs> all of our favorite, <laughs> and every week you, I love this. This one was bad. <laughs> I love it, and you should love it too. Because if you don't, your musical taste is wrong. All I'll say <laughs> is, and this may offend a lot of people. But uh, you'll know you'll know when we're going to review an album that I don't like when the words grateful and dead are <laughs> As Rob knows very well. I know a few other words like uh, grand and fun. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yes, yes. So don't think that it's all pleasantries and lovey-dovey because that's, there will be sarcastic comments. That's there. too bad because I love those guys. <laughs> Which one? All of them. Oh my God! Ryan Heath, love you, Ryan. There's gonna be, there's gonna be some sparks. <laughs> sparks. I even okay. asked you. I when even asked do. you. I even asked you uh, a couple weeks ago. I said something about the Grateful Dead. You said I kind of like them, and that even insulted. Uh-huh. That insulted me because <laughs> I thought, I thought I knew you better than that, man. You changed, man. <laughs> I thought I knew you, man. Uh, no, I love the grip. No, don't not la la. I like them a lot. I la la. <laughs> so we're gonna get to uh, Derek and the Dominos, uh, Layla and other sort of love songs, and we're really gonna talk about this record because holy smokes, are we under time? Uh, <laughs> Mike didn't tell us how much under time we. Are. So that means we get to make up for the time as we go along. We get to make up for the time. Oh, we get to make up for the make time. Make up the time. Make up the time. That's right. If we feel we've gone for half an hour. You know what the good thing is? Is that any mistakes, and this is a good thing about our podcast, any mistakes that we make, we can edit out, which we won't, because uh, we don't have, <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just don't want, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you gotta get out the scissors, no, and then you gotta pull the chip out of the computer. You gotta turn on the computer. Uh, and I and I say because we we spend a couple of hours a week just rehearsing the show, and then to have to uh, edit the show because of uh, a word or two that's mistakenly yeah. said. Yeah. Come on. That's nitpicking. That's nitpicking. That's I work. Like it. Oh yeah, work. This is a, this is. I don't know why I picked this album. But it was it automatically when we decided this was it we were gonna do this show. A big factor I think was that neither of us had this That was. It was. This is actually an album that the guy who brags about it about hearing four thousand records from the nineteen (laughs) seventies actually hasn't heard, even though like you said Yeah, one of the uh the top uh well, we'll get that later. Well, we've heard all this. We've heard most of the songs on yeah. this record on the radio, but we've never actually listened to the whole album, which is really amazing for both of us. Yeah, that wasn't the main reason. It just popped into my head, <laughs> but it was that. That was a good reason for why I did pick this album. But I'm telling you, when I was thinking, okay, what's going to be our first album that we're going to look at for the the new on our on our new show, and it just came just like that without any hesitation. Whatsoever it was, oh Layla, another sort of love songs. I have no idea why. And but it's a good pick because it's a very to has a, a very rich backstory. This is as most people yeah. who probably are 
affiliated with uh, that form of music at that time knows about. But to really start about how Layla got going was that uh, Eric Clapton was asked to uh, contribute to the All Things Must Pass album for George Harrison to kind of uh, play guitar on a few things. And he met Bobby Whitlock there, who became the keyboard player and, and also co-songwriter cool on the Layla album. They kind of met there. They kind of hit it off. Now, unfortunately, this is where it all gets really confusing. <laughs> unfortunately, Eric was in love with the man he's working for at the time, George Harrison's wife, Hattie, Hattie Harrison. And, I mean, he was really in love. I mean, he was in love like you were with your dog. Remember your dog? Oh. You love that dog so much. And crawl under a hedge and die when that dog left me. The pain was so painful. Not with you and the dog, but it was. Oh, yeah. But between between Eric and Patty, and it was unrequited love because she was married to a beetle. You can't be married to that to a beetle, I tell you. Um, no. That... During the All Things Must Pass sessions, that's when him and Bobby Whitlock got a hold of uh, the old H-bomb, as they say. I guess they said that. I don't know if they did. If I made that up, that's cool. <laughs> the old H-bomb. <laughs> they got hooked on heroin while they were doing the sessions for All Things Must Pass. They didn't really work on it that much. They did a couple songs on it. Uh, but that's where they got, that's where Eric really got involved in the heroin uh, to take away the pain that he was feeling. Got along with Bobby Whitlock because, man, he was doing heroin too. And it's like, hey, man, not only do you play good keyboards and, hey, man, you write some good tunes, but you're a good heroin taker like myself. That's two things I can't, <laughs> can't do with a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> so, what, so they said, yeah, let's make an album. Uh, and the people they got was the people from that Eric knew and Bobby Whitlock knew from the band that Eric played with, with the Lady and Body. Mm -hmm. So we got Carl Radel and uh, Jim Gordon. And they set about, out, you know, uh, I would uh, early September, I don't know, October, I don't know. I don't know the exact month. From my understanding, things went really well and uh, they recorded it really quickly and uh, <laughs> we got to be out today. Actually, that's <laughs> funny because that's not how it worked at all. <laughs> No? That's why you're here for comic relief and to get me coffee. Uh, <laughs> actually, the session started out very poorly. And uh, they, and it's funny because they they have a lot of the sessions. Uh, we talked about the, before, Rob, we talked about the jam record on there. Yeah. Which they put on the, uh, I think, the 20th anniversary edition of the album. Um uh, a whole a whole CD of jam stuff, which well, there's a story about that how I heard it, and this is this is not it's just a little sidetrack here. But I worked in a, a CD store and music store in the early '90s, and we got to pick our own music to play and blah blah blah. So you know, it was kind of a sleepy Tuesday morning, and I decided to put on not the Layla album, but I decided to put on the jam disc. And man, did I hate it. But <laughs> I, I, I figured out from working in a, in a CD store or a music store in general that there's music, just like there's music that works in the car or there's music yeah. that works at, late at night. This was not Tuesday morning. 
This was not actually, this was jam music is not music in a music store at all, really. Because <laughs> it went over really badly. Someday I will tell you which album was the, was almost caused a riot in the store. Right? <laughs> and it caused people yeah. to walk up. But that's a story for another show. I got that saved. It did. It was like the worst album that was ever played in the music store ever. But this was pretty close because I hated it when I had it on. And the, the few people that were in there on that Tuesday morning were giving me looks like, man, I hope you take that off soon. Because jam music just doesn't work. Now, when we were in a store like that, it just doesn't. It's really more for musicians. So when, <laughs> when we decided to do this album, even though we're not supposed to, we're just supposed to listen to the album as it was released um, at the time, I, I wanted to hear the jam record because I disliked it so much. And so I put this, I put the CD on and I loved it. I, I loved, loved it. I loved it. I lived it. You loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was, it was kind of like working on ideas instead of just mindless jamming. As you know, that I dislike intensely ah, and I do like jamming. Pick some mm. chords and then just keep playing them over yeah, and for over 15 again. minutes. You know who does that so well? A band that I love so much, Grief of Dead. <laughs> but um, this was actually working on ideas. Oh, Eric was on fire. This guy couldn't play wrong notes if he wanted to. He was just like, uh -huh. it was just, I listen to that disc and I'm going like, this is how you play. Uh, lead guitar in a in a so-called jam session although it, i consider it more i guess working on compositions uh instrumentally than just jamming but endlessly playing wise recording and jamming are different in that when you're jamming uh, there's no real pressure on you to uh, get the recording right you're just your hands are moving freely and you're just uh doing a thing <laughs> That's true. When you're recording, there's a bit of pressure on you. You fumble a bit, you do it 15, 20 times uh, more because it was recording on tape back then. There was no fixing stuff on tape. No, it wasn't. There was. I mean, you could you could splice things together, which they did a lot. Oh yeah, splice. Yes, but it was hard, and you didn't want to do it most of the time. You wanted to get the one. You wanted to get the. No, tape nowadays, yeah, you put a beat in the wrong place, the engineer just slides it over on the computer. You sing a wrong note, you just uh, well, lose the pitch. Well, just uh, change the pitch and everything will be fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. In fact, you don't even have to be. You can be terrible and sound great. So they they recorded. So they they were coming up with ideas. They were jamming, and then they had some song ideas. Blah blah blah, and. It just wasn't gelling, even though I kind of disagree. <laughs> I hate to disagree with musical superstars, <laughs> but yeah. from what I've heard before Dwayne Alvin joined, um, is that it was pretty cool. I mean, there are songs, there's a couple songs on the album that are from those sessions, and they're really good. I, I, I don't know, but maybe the magic they were looking yeah, for was not of, there. The kind of gelling part of the uh, thing. And uh, you, you do a, a second time there. You, you work out the bugs. So that's a big part. Oh, yeah, it is. And I, I agree. It's up to the musician. It's up to what he's looking for at the time. And what I'm looking for, which is just, hey, a good recording of a song, is not exactly maybe what they're looking for. They're looking for something a little bit more that's there. And maybe it wasn't there. Anyways, those first sessions just didn't work out. They got a couple of things, but they were thinking this this may not even work out. This may not even work out, this whole thing. Then they went to go see uh, the Almond Brothers play, 
one night while they were recording in Florida. And then they invited Dwayne Allman after the concert to jam a little bit. And they jammed and it was just kinetic. It was just boom. They hit it off unbelievably well. And that's when Eric said right away, um, you've got to play on this album. I don't know if he asked them to be part of the Dominoes. Uh, but he said, you got to play on this album. And, uh, so he did and it, and it, and it turned everything around. All of a sudden the ideas kept flowing. Uh, I think they had a little bit of writer's block too. Yeah. I just think there was no, there was no big magnet. Uh, there was just Eric and a whole bunch of very good backup musicians. And all of a sudden he had kind of like a, an equal in Dwayne Allman. Yes, that because that, that's the one thing they, uh, they were surprised to find out, you know, uh, well, this guy's heard of me and uh, likes some of my music. <laughs> yeah, actually, Dwayne Allman was not exactly a household name in, in, in 1978. I heard when um, uh, he was playing at the concert there and he uh, saw Eric Clapton in the, um, uh, the audience, he uh, kind of dropped the solo and uh, someone else took over. That's true. He got very <laughs> nervous. Because the Allman Brothers had only released two albums, I think, at that point, and they were... They were well known among musicians, but they were yeah. And Clapton at the time was God, and Clapton <laughs> Clapton was literally God. And the album, it, so so yeah, I don't. I was going to review the album yeah, for a second, but we're not ready because <laughs> there's still some backstory. So everything everything picked up. He played a lot of slide guitar. In fact, that's what he did. He played slide guitar on the album, which added immensely to the album. Uh, it was really the the key they were looking for. Not only that, but just his presence. Uh, just him being there. And, the, and then they had the songs, which were all <laughs> uh, downbeat. <laughs> is that a good word? I don't even know if that uh, is uh, an understatement because uh, these were, these, I love the title of the album. Yeah. Because when you really yeah. think about the title of the album, first of all, it's half funny and half extremely tragic. Because the title of the album is kind of a play on all the early 60s, late 50s albums where you'd have like yeah. Please Please Me and 12 other songs. Joe <laughs> sings the hits from Bavaria. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it, it's just like it's just like one of those takeoffs. But it doesn't, it's not a funny takeoff. Like it is in a way. It's kind of like I'm poking fun, but it's kind of like the last joke you make before you start making the album because the album is like, oh, my God, it's. It's it's a dark album. It's steeped in heroin, which everybody's doing. And these songs are all about unrequited love. And you can feel the pain. So when it's called Layla and other assorted love songs, it sounds flippant, but it's not. You could actually call it Layla and other sort of painful heartbreak songs. Heartbreaking love songs. <laughs> because, and that's why I love the kind of like double entendre type of uh the title that it has because it's it can be both interpreted as uh as uh as a funny one or as a extremely serious one and actually it's both so when we get to the actual songs themselves and the making of the album or just talking about the album as it's done it's uh like i said we haven't heard this album we've only heard probably about three quarters of this album before we listen to it yeah and I'm telling you, I was blown away. Yeah. I couldn't believe how painful this album was. Like, you don't understand when you hear a single song on the radio and you go, oh, like a uh, song like Gotta Get Better in a Little While and, and Bell Bottom Blues. It also changes when you find out the backstory behind it. It does. But even if you didn't, you have to hear the pain. 
Yeah. I mean, you have to. If you you can't be uh, oblivious to, to what's going on. Why so sad? Why why is everybody so <laughs> popped out? I mean, this must have been. I guess they were pretty cool sessions, but I guess if you were an outsider and you went there, everybody's doing heroin and singing <laughs> about torturous love. It 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 sounds like it's a wholly depressing uh situation but it really wasn't i guess you it's kind of like you had to be there type thing because it was totally successful what happened with the next album is totally different <laughs> because when when they tried to do a second album early the next year that didn't work out because of exactly the problems that should have happened for this record album. everybody <laughs> steeped in heroin and no ideas and just completely screwed up but this didn't happen yet for some reason. It was like this album was meant to be, had to be done. Um, they did a few shows after the first one. They did. They did a few shows, and they didn't play very many songs from the album. And they don't. They didn't play Layla. <laughs> they didn't. They did a very bluesy. Uh, it was a very strange. It was amazing shows. I've heard a couple of shows that they did uh, on various uh, bootlegs and stuff, and they. It sound it's amazing, but it, it's not really the album. It's very more of a, it's even darker in a way because it's even like now I'm gonna play this for 14 minutes, like I'm gonna play bell bottom blues for 14 <laughs> minutes because I'm feeling so much pain, and uh, yeah, and then of course like I said they went to do the second album and it just everybody was too screwed up, everybody was just out of it, and then Eric was gone. Eric never came back as far as the musician that he was because when he took a three-year break uh to to get his heroin habit under well first of all he didn't spend three years he spent a, probably two years just on a on a hold up in his big mansion with a heroin habit and then he broke the heroin habit and then when he did that he found jesus and that made him not want to do this type of this yeah, is a dark album yeah. this is almost a devil album you can rob you gotta you gotta you gotta I agree with me when well, you hear this there is a darkness to this album that you don't want to go to unless you're actually in it yeah i kind of think I maybe i uh, just didn't want to revisit this album that's what i mean mm -hmm. and, and he never really did like he did okay he wouldn't play laid up for the longest time and when he did it was a little bit different and he never really played guitar like that again, and he never exposed himself like that again because he realized he was way too close to the darkness. And uh, he preferred the light to the darkness, as most people would. But that's the reason. And I knew this story from, like, 78, as far as people kept asking at the time of his slow hand album, why, do you, why don't you make, uh, like, like, rock and roll like you did with Layla and all that stuff? And he says, I, I, I won't. I said, it takes me to a place I don't like to be in. And, and you know, it uh, it kind of takes away what I've learned about being a Christian and blah, blah, blah. And he never did. He is stuck to his guns admirably for, for you know, 45 more years now. I mean, everybody, I remember as a kid, do you remember as a kid, everybody always talked about why is he making these country-influenced records or these... These yeah, very guitar like, like records. They were waiting for him to just uh, go back to. Uh, He'll return. 
and he never did. No, nope, you know, you got to give it that. You got to give that to him. I don't, I don't, I don't care if you like. I, I'm not a big fan of his stuff after he came back from his heroin, but that's none of my business. If it's better for him health wise, yeah. then <laughs> what? Who am I to say? Oh, but I don't like your music as much. I mean, who who gives a crap? <laughs> I think suffering is immensely important, and if I knew what I was like, I would do everything in my power to ensure that suffering continues, so I can enjoy some breaks. You're sure you don't want another H-bomb? <laughs> well, but these, uh, yeah, I'll let you talk about these songs, because uh, as I look at them, you know, on the list, it's just like, pow, 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 pow. These, <laughs> these are powerful. These are coming at you, and this was more, I knew this was a classic album, and I'll tell you how classic it was in a little bit if you didn't already know, but when I actually listened to it, it even was, was better than I expected and big of a bigger of a downer than I expected. I had a point in the start talking. I, I went Damn you and your pontificating. The spaghetti. Anyways, I love dead air. Dead air reminds me of napalm. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like victory. <laughs> Rob's thinking about the right words right now, and uh, I kind of put him on the spot, so I feel bad. And no, I had a great point to make, and then uh, you, it left. Should I look around on the floor to see if I can find it? I don't think it's there. Well, why don't you talk about the songs? And what the what, talk about the album? What did the album make you feel like when you when you heard, especially the first time? Well, I think I'd heard about uh, the you know three quarters of the album. I think that's one of the, the influencing factors as to uh, why I never bought the album because I heard so much about it. I didn't see a point to it. It's true. I didn't. Either. <laughs> you know, when you're a kid and you only have so much money, yeah, you always think I'm going to buy this album for these. Really Four songs I haven't heard. Yeah, but you are. You know you are. You know you think you are anyways. You go into the record shop and you say, oh, there's Layla. Everybody loves that album. I'm going to buy that next week. Yeah. Uh, but I want to buy this this week. And then it just gets pushed back and gets pushed back. And all of a sudden, 30 years go by and you still haven't bought it. And uh, I understand exactly because I've done that with not just Layla, but many other albums. No, I'm glad I finally got a chance to listen to it because uh, isn't it different than hearing the than hearing separate songs on the radio? Yeah, as a as a whole, I I didn't find it as dark as you. <clears throat> I was rocking out to it. I had uh, some like little. Were you band. dancing? Not as much as uh, like if it were James Brown, but pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> it is a very rocking album. I'm making it sound like it's album you listen to be, before you take your life, but it's actually uh, a very rock. And I, I maybe I misinterpreted. I I'm I'm really relating more to the lyrics because the lyrics really hit hard with me. Yeah, I'm relating with more of the feel and the music there. I didn't uh, associate a lot of it with uh, the pain. I I didn't uh, know all the backstory. I do know like uh, a lot of the songs are. Heartbreak songs, rock and roll heartbreak songs, which are different from country heartbreak songs. Because there's no beer in, yeah. uh, in a rock and roll heartbreak songs. And you can't have a fast, uh, hard uh, country uh, fast heartbreak hard. song. <laughs> I'm fast and hard for you, baby. 
But you can with rock and roll. You can write a fast word, uh, a heartbreak song. No, that's a good. That's a good point. You can, Why does you can rock to be out? So sad. I know what you mean. You can rock out while you're writing a heartbreak song in rock and roll. Yeah. Yes. Like the the musicality on stuff like that. Uh, it, 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 there's no other uh, music form that. Uh, they're all soft heartbreak songs. These are not. This is rock and roll heartbreak songs. These are rock and roll heartbreak songs. They're they're shaded in in rock in uh in in the rock and roll beat is what you're saying. I kind of disagree with that because the because I I kind yeah I do agree with it actually, but I I disagree because I felt that the music was a little bit downbeat too. It's still rock and roll, but they're just it just seemed that the music complemented the the downbeats of the lyrics. I don't mean like it was like. Oh, like a funeral march. <laughs> I just meant that the music wasn't exactly like uplifting either. I just felt that it was rock and roll, also. Yeah. Um, Hearing them on the radio, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know anything about Derek and the Dominoes. I just heard it was the band that Eric Clapton went to after Blind Faith. Right. I, everybody, everybody thought of this, and I did too for many years. That it was just Eric Clapton changing his name, and they were a bunch yeah, of backup yeah. musicians playing <laughs> with him so that he could. So he wouldn't have to, and I guess it was, I mean, but it was a lot more because it was actually a band. It was not just Eric Clapton and backup musicians. Derek and Adamos was yeah. an actual band, and actually, all of these songs, if they're not if they're not uh, cover songs, are co-written by Clapton and Bobby Whitlock. So it's obviously not an Eric Clapton solo record with just a bunch of uh, backup musicians. Well, he was in the, the, the four bands there, and. The left or all of them broke up and uh, uh, the one comedian I heard said, uh, hey Eric, maybe it's you. <laughs> <laughs> you ever think that it's you, man, and not everybody else? Maybe that Eric is a complete jerk. You don't know. <laughs> I want to go over the titles, though, because if you just went over the titles, you'd think, well, holy man. Like, well, like, you got uh, Nobody Knows When You're Down and Out. You got uh, Tell the Truth. Uh, why does love got to be so sad? Have you ever loved a woman? Uh, and of course, uh, you know Layla. But Layla is, you know, in in uh, I forget where it comes from. It's literary. Yeah. Layla. Layla means unrequited love. Uh, I I used to I remember the story. Wondering. I don't. But anyway, it's is all Patty, But the song is called Layla. Yeah. And now I forget the fact rhythmically it doesn't work. You you can't. Uh, but even the song titles are not exactly uh, rainbows and, and no. Universes. I mean, I, it's a dark time for a lot of uh, musicians around. That's a good point. It was, even, you know, when it started right as soon as the '70s started, it really yeah. did. It just seemed like as soon as the new year came in 1970, it was like I don't feel so good. <laughs> it was almost like we had a uh, peace love decade, and the hippies are starting to. Fade. They're, they're, they're failing. It's not working. We're not going to get the brave new world. And, it, and it's funny because they almost realized that right at the beginning of the 70s. It was almost yeah. like, you know what? The, the, and I guess it's, it's obvious because the rock and roll lost three of the biggest artists of all time to drugs within like such a short period of time. Within less than a year, you got, you lose Hendrix and you lose Joplin and then you lose Morrison. And that's just at the beginning of the decade, yeah. and you're going, man, the drugs ain't working, and there is no revolution, and 
and peace and love is being clobbered by Nixon, <laughs> and nothing is working. And people just kind of got introverted. They said, you know, I'm in a lot of pain. That's just this is this is the yeah. advent of the painful confessional album, the 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 Layla, the uh, John Lennon Plastic Ono band. Uh, later yeah. on, tonight's the night. This, there was no such thing before. The only thing close was was Frank Sinatra used to do the concept albums, but they were not written by him. And uh, they also re they also represented, you know, like he did concept albums about love and, and they're, they're amazing albums, but these are written by the artist and these are expressed by the artist and these are played by the artist. And that's a little bit different. And uh, nothing happened like that before 1970. Like these confessional... I'm feeling so much pain, man. <laughs> and I'm going to write about it. And I'm going to write about it, and sometimes it's going to be two records long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it won't just be one song. <laughs> there won't be a sprinkling of heartache or what I think unrequited teenage love might feel like. Now, the next, I guess the last point that I wanted to make about this album, again, a very this is a very interesting album. Um, this is the kind of album we really like doing on this show because it has a, not only a great backstory, but a story before the album was made, during the album was made, and after the album was made. And this album, after it was done, got actually got mixed reviews, which I don't believe. It stuns me just as much as when uh, we weren't around. I mean, we were around at that time, but we weren't into music at that time. But XL on Main Street got extremely mixed reviews when it was released. Uh, as did as did albums, you'd be surprised, Rob, that got mixed no, reviews. But this one is one of the most surprising. People always talk about this album and Exile on Main Street actually getting mixed reviews, and a lot of them quite hostile. And I don't understand it. Could be the times we didn't we lived through that yeah. time, but we were just kids, so we don't know. I'm but thinking, it could how be can you listen to an album like this and give it a bad review? I I can't understand it. I really can't. But it did. And, but I'm going to tell you revisionists, because even when I started listening to music in 1977, 78, that period, already in five years, that album was looked at as a Stone Cold classic. Yeah. Now, this is the accolades that have happened since this album kind of got panned when it was released, is that Rolling Stone gave it ranked at number 117 on the 500 greatest albums of all time. 107. That's that's amazing. I actually think it should be higher, but that's that's amazing. Robert Christgau gave Layla said it was the third greatest album of all of the 1970s. And that's just uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg for the the plaudits that the album was given but i can i will never get my head around the fact that you could give this album a mixed review <laughs> i really can i'm a little sad that you can never uh, call reviewers out on what they've done years after remember that review we gave there oh a little off the mark well so give me a break and it was like no man you didn't just say it there was like 15 other guys that said it was just an okay album, and I don't understand it. I can kind of understand like an album like Exile on Main Street getting mixed reviews because it was a very, it wasn't an accessible type no. of, it took, it definitely took four or five listens, and then when it hits you, it hits you, you know, hard, and you, you know, said, wow, this is 
Amazing. I do understand. Same feeling exactly for me, the Who is Quadrophenia. Didn't like it first listen. Third or fourth listen, this is the best album they've ever done. There are albums like that. There are albums like that. It takes a couple listens. And, and you know what? In uh, in defense of the critics, they are only usually get to listen to an album yeah. once. At best, twice. You've got a, a, a bunch of albums to do over the week. And, uh... Exactly. And it's not like today where, you know, you had a deadline to meet because... You know, Rolling Stone came out and your review is on there. Could be three months after the album's release. <laughs> but by the time you listen to it and write the review and get it published and get it on the newsstand, you know, the album's already, you know, two months to three months old. It's not like it's, it's a different culture, is what it is. But you're only, and I heard this, I heard this on a, a couple of critics say this on a show. They said, you got to understand, like, I would actually, the critic actually said, I'm not going to name his name, but the critic actually said, that you know what? To be honest, our magazine was probably wrong about 70% of the time. <laughs> but we only, we got like 20 records. Like me personally, had 20 records to review in like 10 days. And I only get to listen to it once. Nobody yeah. understands that, you know? And I, and if you look at it that way, you can understand how an album, if it doesn't grab you right away, uh can, You're going to can give get it a your mixed review. immediate off-the-cuff review. Right. Uh, I was reviewing Quadrophenia at the time. Uh, what the hell are they thinking? Is why I went home. What, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I do the concept album, uh, but too self-involved. But it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, Being yeah. self-involved. It's actually an album. Mm -hmm. Another album that gets better every time you listen to it. It's an album that still sounds fresh to me, Quadrophenia, even though yeah. it has a its original mix is very murky. It's still does. It's just a, oh, amazing. Uh, I love albums like this and Quadrophenia and Exile that that you can listen to a hundred times and then still find this fresh yeah. as, the, as the as the first. So I guess we're done. So our debut episode is in the can. I, I did want to mention the one hidden track on the album. I have to. Yeah, the track which is so well hidden, it's not on the album. Let It Rain. I remember hearing DJs play that song on the radio and then say that was Derek and the Dawns. I mean, it does sound like it's from the album, doesn't it? Same period, too. No, it just, it, it just really does sound like it's from the album. Yeah. That's why I say that uh, that was the album's hidden track. I spent so many years thinking that was Derek and the Dominoes, and the final was not. <laughs> Did it shatter your childhood? It was certainly a surprise. I my eyes they were all wide open for uh, a day or three. <laughs> People asked me why. Let it rain. Rain. Well, I hope you enjoyed our first episode. We did. Well, I enjoyed some of it, you know, but Rob's remarks I didn't like too much. I enjoyed a bunch of it, but I decided uh, I'm going to need more more coffee before I start. Yeah, you got to get me more coffee. Chemicals. Chemicals. <laughs> Make so, the flow happen. Next week, we'll have another album. We'll have funny stuff. Oh, we'll have funny stuff next week. Well, it'll be so funny. You know, you should get something for your stomach and something. <laughs> so, we'll see you next week.